0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Spansive. I am Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute.
1: And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research.
0: We wanted to kick things off this week taking a look at the uh, battle that is brewing between Apple and Facebook. As you uh, probably already know, Apple is planning to make some changes with iOS 14 early next year that will require developers to essentially ask permission before they gather data and and track users across mobile apps and websites on on iPad and and the iPhone. Uh, Apple, uh, and uh, so Apple's made these announcements. Facebook is very concerned about these announcements. They've taken out their second full-page newspaper ad claiming that iOS 14 from Apple will change the internet as we know it and force websites and blogs to quote, start charging you subscription fees.
1: Ch- change the internet as we know it. And even more, even, even worse, our business model potentially. That's, so uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so Facebook is, is quite concerned. Tim Cook, of course, took to Twitter to respond to Facebook's full page allegations saying, Facebook can continue to track users across the apps and websites as before. App tracking and transparency in iOS 14 will just require that they ask your permission first. So uh, Facebook can continue to do it. They just have to ask your permission. Uh, This is definitely a a battle that uh, is brewing. Um, We've seen some other things already happen between Facebook and, and Apple. Facebook hit out against Apple's App Store policies earlier this year. Um, And so uh, we've seen a little bit of a a battle brewing there. Ross, what do you make of uh, of all of that?
1: I was just going to say on the App Store front, uh, Microsoft actually supporting Facebook uh, on that effort because uh, a lot of that has focused around cloud gaming uh, and access to the App Store. And uh, uh, another story this week is about a number of large news publishers uh, joining the Coalition for App Fairness, which is – targeting apple's rules uh, around the app store but uh, but this is uh, you know really comes down to a question of a business model and differentiation. One way that Apple justifies its premium prices for its devices is that they do not monetize user data uh, in the way that facebook and and Google do, and that uh, they Position themselves as a, a champion for the user, and uh, you know, putting putting the user in control. So, uh, you know, there's obviously a, a conflict with with Facebook, which has really been able to execute uh, on, on its business model because of a set of uh, internet defaults. I mean, they they are right. You know, it it could change the the internet forever. Uh, what's debatable is. You know whether it would change it in in a good way or a bad way, uh, and and uh, the the other sort of wild card is Facebook saying, look, it, it's not about us. You know, we'll we'll be okay. It's it's really about the small businesses that rely uh, on Facebook and Facebook advertising to to reach their their target customers. And uh, you know, Sean, that's that's actually been something that you've brought up a, a number of times on the show. How how important Facebook is as a, as a marketing engine for, for small businesses. So, uh, you know, the, 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 I I think this is even uh, as, as big of a deal as uh, Facebook is making about this. It's, it's still somewhat of a prelude to Apple just turning this off uh, by default and not prompting users and requiring them to delve deep into settings to, to uh, opt in at all and then uh, you know Facebook would really have to deal with a an incredible amount of inertia uh, in order to to do the the level of tracking uh, that they do so um, you know it, it, it just seems that uh, you know this is Apple kind of uh, asserting uh, its uh, its platform power uh, and uh, maybe maybe it moves Facebook to Redouble its efforts on on Android, where they have a friendlier ally in terms of a platform that uh, that uh, you know is is not doesn't take the same approach to uh, to, to user data. Uh, but in any case, you know this this wave of privacy protection, uh, regardless of how it's expressed, is is really picking up a, a lot of momentum, and Apple is doing a a great job capitalizing on it. And the competitors, it's really up to the competitors to figure out how they can hop on that bandwagon while protecting their business model. And and Facebook is clearly struggling with that, at least in preventing a, a whole market view, uh, which, they, which they need the iPhone for.
0: This is obviously a battle that's been brewing now for a number of years. You can go back to, to CES in January of 2019, when Apple took out a full building ad (laughs) outside of the convention center saying what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, a little play on the uh, the marketing slogan known for, for Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, And so, um, you know it's been a line in the sand that apple has been drawing now for a number number of years and and they're clearly very committed tim cook said we believe users should have the choice over the data that is being collected about them and how it's used and so uh, that's going to be a a stance that they are going to uh i think fight hard for To, to your point when i talk with small businesses ross they love the ability to target specific users and so as a result, it's allowed niche businesses to flourish and, and small businesses to flourish, especially service businesses. Think of pet groomers who are targeting a, a specific geographic area and really only want to target pet owners or only want to target dog owners or or what have you. And so uh, the, the ability to customize that and, and then have a, a much higher rate of return on your ads has made Facebook a very attractive platform. And and Facebook has embraced that audience and they've built out a lot of services like making appointments through Messenger and other things like that to really cater to that small business. At the same time, they're trying to transition away from being uh, a, just a platform where you post updates. They've tried to really focus on much more uh, intimate utility. conversation. Yeah, utility, smaller group conversations. They've really emphasized uh, that. So uh, we'll see how these how these two worlds collide. And and if in fact, we do start to see companies as Facebook claims, start to uh, impose subscription services and other things like that. I think the challenge for Facebook is that if
1: if I'm an iPhone user, and I just see this message, do I want to allow this app to track me? Oh, that doesn't sound so good. You know, I'm going to turn that off. Uh, but there's no recognition of what the potential benefit of that is. So so rather perhaps than taking out full-page ads in major newspapers attacking Apple, uh, perhaps a better media outreach strategy for Facebook, and of course they are a massive media engine, uh, would be to try to reach customers on the app, uh, letting them know about the benefits of, of turning that on. Uh, just like, uh, you know, a lot of apps have argued for the benefit of turning on location, or, you know, perhaps saying, look, if you don't have this on, you're not going to be able to access a lot of the the Facebook app features. Um, and then, you know, that that's how you do a little bit of, of arm twisting for, for those people who have turned it off. Uh, because, again, by default, you know, why would I want it on? But there may be reasons you want it on, and it's incumbent upon Facebook to make that that case to the user, uh, because clearly they're not they're not going to make much progress against Apple.
0: Well, and I think as Tom Warren uh, wrote in in The Verge about this, the ad is probably not aimed for Apple, but it's aimed for regulators. In kind of a, a ironic twist of, of perspective, Facebook is is trying to shine the antitrust light and the anti-competitive light on apple and uh you know this is a game that all the big tech companies are playing now as they come under greater scrutiny uh, of regulators, both at the state level and the federal level, to say, "Not me! It's not me who's breaking the rules. Not me who's exerting my force. It's him. Look at him. Look uh, look over. Right. Look at uh, take a look at Apple. What uh, they're doing.
1: I, I guess. But you know, I, I think it's an uphill battle to try to win sympathy in Washington by you know arguing for less user privacy or or less transparency at least. So we'll right. see what happens.
0: So. Yeah, and I think what what we will see coming out of this, I think, is that. You will have premium features that are only mm. unlocked if you're sharing your your information, and so that will be the way that um, that we will be able to you know get greater information out there. We saw some of the concerns around this during the election. We had several initiatives on on state ballots, namely in California, and some of the um, civil liberty. Groups they're opposed to some of some of that because right. the concern is that it will bifurcate the the internet in a way that it disenfranchises those who have less money, so they will be forced to share their information to unlock uh, premium features, and so they're they're uh, disenfranchised in some way by being put in a position where they have to share their information in order to unlock the features that they want to use. Uh, So inevitably more to come on on that front. Uh, In other news, we've seen a lot happen on the Twitter platform. Several announcements um, that we saw. We saw uh, an acquisition announcement in the last few days where they have uh, announced that they uh, are acquiring uh, Squad, which is a Silicon Valley startup. Gives people the ability to hang out virtually with friends on other apps.
1: I think they do kind of a a watch party type offering, allowing people to, uh, you know, simultaneously watch movies on various services.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw the the more public release of their Clubhouse competitor. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. We also saw um, some interesting moves around trying to humanize the platform by offering humanization prompts. So before you reply to certain tweets, uh, especially from people that you may not follow or may not know, it will highlight commonalities you have with them. So if you both follow similar people, it will highlight those those things and try to humanize uh, it a little bit. Obviously, this has been... Um, one of the challenges for Twitter and, and creating an open dialogue and an open platform is you end up interacting with people you don't know. And sometimes we're uh, quick to reply in haste to to people we don't know. So this is trying yes, to sure. our, it. Yes, your
1: political views make me you know, detest your guts. But, oh, wait, you like pugs? All right, well, you can't be all bad. Exactly, yeah.
0: exactly. Uh, Christian a senior product manager for Conversations at Twitter, said it's human nature to feel weary when replying to someone you don't know. Uh, in the heat of the moment, people can forget there's another human behind Twitter account. By showing For what sure. we have in common, we hope to remind or, you or at least what... a
1: you know really intelligent bot.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're doing verification now, so that was another right. Uh, they're bringing that back. Yeah, big move. They've uh, gone back to allowing us to retweet and moving away from the uh, the quote tweet uh, quote retweet, which they had implemented. They're uh, showing personalized funny tweets so that you can see them before they show up on Instagram meme accounts. They're trying to, to surface those and obviously using uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms probably at some level to personalize what those are, not just picking up the viral tweets, but also trying to, to personalize those accounts. Uh, so Ross, do you see a, a broad theme in some of the announcements that Twitter's made in, in just the last week? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, you know, Twitter uh, you know, certainly uh, f- over, over the past 4 years, I think it's been uh, amplified no pun intended in, in the political realm. Uh, it's been a megaphone, you know, and and you get out there and you type in your message and out it goes into uh <clears throat> into the world uh to anyone following you uh and uh you know, it's it's been sort of this primarily one-way one to many kind of uh, communication. And uh, I think there are elements of what they're doing that will continue to shore that up. But but uh, o- overall, I, I think it's a move more toward more personal connections. And I think they're, they're going about it in a very different way than Facebook uh, has gone about it, where they were still trying to emphasize this notion of groups, many-to-many communications, uh, whereas Twitter really seems to be a, a lot of these efforts I think would would result in more one to one uh connections, so things like uh the potential watch party type functionality the humanizing uh you know maybe even the the uh the, the the spotlighting of of the funny tweets incidentally the humanizing thing right that is a really interesting application of of personal data you know potentially used for for good uh so you know we're we're just talking about protecting privacy and and why, you know, your immediate reaction would be to turn that off. Uh, but, you know, if you turn something like that off, then you may be, you know, th- this is a good application of how you may be opening yourself up to, uh, you know, someone someone attacking you, uh, even if they, you know, might might be a future, uh, future friend that, you know, you might have uh, a, a lot in common with. So, no, I have to say, I, I think it it extends a lot of very aggressive moves that we've seen from Twitter in the past uh, year and a half, two years, uh, and uh, you know, for many many years, Twitter was criticized for uh, being stagnant, for not evolving the platform. Uh, I, I think you know many of the same criticisms that are uh, that that are thrown at at, uh, at at Facebook, and I'm not sure if if any of these moves per se would do anything to appeal to, to raise the appeal of the service or grow the membership or grow revenue. Uh, but I would say that a lot of them are aimed at reducing some of the toxicity uh, online and, and a better user experience. Uh, and uh, that may be a way of at least driving usage of the platform or more engagement with the platform uh, for, for those who are already there.
0: Well, and it comes at a very interesting time, where one of the the strongest catalysts for Twitter use over the last four years is uh, set to leave office, and um, obviously mm. President Trump, while he was ascending to the presidency and, and throughout his his presidency, did a very good job of of using Twitter as an uh, as an amplification of his message. And um, and and it feels to me just generally from my own personal use of Twitter over the last four years, it it has become a bit more po- political. I mean, I think there was always mm-hmm. um, a- an aspect of it that was kind of global in nature, but it feels like it became very bifurcated and, and political in, in some ways, and and not all in positive ways over the last four years. And so, uh, you know, now we have. Um, president trump leaving the presidency twitter has already come out and said hey we're you are going to become an average citizen at the end of january and uh we we'll, will we'll lose some protections you almost were... hinting that uh, the hammer is about to come down yeah so, it's like yeah. they're polishing off the hammer right i mean it's almost <laughs> like they're just they're just waiting because they know that uh i mean in some ways they've baited trump and they know that trump will uh will do what what he is inclined to do and and to amplify his message and and in some ways, Trump wants to be the victim, you know, or or will will yeah. be okay being the victim plays, and maybe plays
1: well to him, yeah,
0: yeah, and and maybe that will will be the catalyst for him starting his own platform or his own network. There's been a lot of discussion about that in in the news. So yeah, so yeah, move,
1: move over Twitter, here comes Trumper.
0: Uh, right. So it might all all fit in, and so all of this i think happens at a really interesting intersection where they're going to be downplaying some of the some of the the broader messages and they've been battling that in the recent weeks and in, in you know adding disclaimers to some posts of of different people mm-hmm. and and now they're really trying to push this more intimate uh engagement and it and it Ross i think you make a very valid point that we're seeing that flow across all the platforms in different ways facebook has tried it uh here you know, Twitter is is trying it. So
1: even uh, I, th- I think last week uh, all the major console guys got together and said, you know, we are committing to a new set of rules and and cooperation to improve the online gaming experience uh, on our on our consoles. And we're going to share R and D, and we're going to um, you know adhere to all these ratings issues. So uh, so yes, I I think there's there's certainly more focus on it and. In, in the name of experience, um, just what one note on uh, Twitter and, and politics, which is uh, it was also interesting to read uh, some, I think it was an interview with um, one of Biden's uh, social media, uh, you know, gurus uh, who talked about how they largely ignored Twitter. You know, they just realized that not everyone is on Twitter. And the audience that they wanted to reach was necess- not necessarily active on Twitter, uh, so you know they focused a lot of their uh, outreach to suburban women, for example, on on Facebook. Uh, and uh, of course, you know that that was really the turning card platform in 2016 as well. Um, you know, for all of Trump's uh, tweets, you know, really the the court to public opinion took place on Facebook, uh, so it, it, it seemed to to also play an outsized role in um, in 2020 because that's where the users are. You know, so um, so we'll see. Uh, you know how 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 things might change, but but certainly Twitter will remain a a long way from Facebook's scale for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, well, in in our final story of this week's episode, uh, we see that Roku and Warner Media. Announced this week that they had finally reached an agreement that would allow Roku users to access the HBO uh, HBO Max Max
1: app on their.
0: uh, Try to say that three times.
1: (laughs) The Max app, Max app
0: on their platform. Uh, This solves a seventh-month headache for Roku users who have been trying to um, gain access to the HBO streaming service. Uh, since it's, uh, since its debut roku 's stock closed at an all time high after the deal was announced and and likely this coincides with warner media 's plans to close the window on new theatric releases at least in two thousand and twenty one where right, they 'll be
1: including a big uh, Wonder Woman movie coming uh, christmas
0: yeah releasing all of those on uh, on hBO Max at the same time that they uh, will release in theaters should any theaters actually be open to uh, <laughs> to, sh- to show it and screen it so uh, big big news this week there in the streaming services, which we often talk about
1: it 's just funny how Roku has kind of recreated the dynamics that we have seen around cable distribution. Uh, a lot of people think about them as a manufacturer of these inexpensive boxes and sticks that plug into a television, but they actually control the experience. For a very high percentage of TVs sold in the U.S. now, from companies like TCL and, and Hisense, uh, and uh, and so you know, if, if uh, major media companies like Disney, NBC, Universal with Peacock, and of course Warner Media want access to uh, that audience, they need to do a deal with Roku. So uh, you know, they have uh, they have really emerged as as a power broker. Uh, in terms of controlling access to that audience, so uh, it's been really interesting to, to see that be resolved. And as with the old cable conflicts, it's it's a win win now that it has. Uh, but um, but yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a gatekeeper there.
0: Yeah. So uh, m- more to come there. I mean, obviously this em- probably empowers Roku to to add other services if there's any uh, additional holes to to fill. And uh, it, to your point, Ross, it is interesting to see how cable is, is kind of remade, right? And these new connections are remade, but how important they, they still remain. Uh, probably a good place to end this week's episode. Thanks again for joining us for Tech Expansive. We invite you to join us next week. Uh, I am Sean dubervac You can find me on Twitter at Sean dubervac
1: And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for joining us.